Electro Library podcast studio at Stonehill College, I'm Jared Green, and this is Short Circuits, one author in the spotlight, generating electricity, shooting off sparks. In this episode, recorded over Zoom on October 30th, 2020, Amber Brooks sits down with poet, author, and activist, Laylee Long Soldier. about that this morning how you had said that 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 piece that lit hub asked to publish was just a facebook post and when i read it it and i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about it because it meant so much to me so so one is that like maybe you're not belaboring over a line or something but but that just your Facebook post is this exquisite work of, of art that resonates with me and others that read it. And, and I think about, you know, the, the detail of the dress, which I told you is just staying with me, but also what it means to be a, a mother and a woman in this time and, and to feel yourself growing older over these months. I mean, that the months are piling up, you know, we're changing physically. We are. We are. Well, first of all, the inactivity. Yes. I mean, I am like, I am like a a stick with a bunch of pudding on top of it. It's like, (laughs) I guess there's actually a word for that pudding pop. I guess that's what it's become. Like, I have no, my muscle tone is like complete, it's, it's horrifying right now. Uh, and I have, what was crazy is I have a whole crown of gray hairs. Did you see right? that? <laughs> yeah, there you are. Oh my God, you're wearing a hat. That was so smart. I didn't even know those were there. <laughs> I'm embracing it. I'm embracing it. I'm 48. Time. It is time, you know, and and I tell I told my daughter, I said, you know what? I earned every one of these. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, it's a strange time. And then it's like we have so much time. Right. Uh, but and to do things, for example, I could work out, right? I have <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> and we have all this time, but we have less time at the same time. Like it's it's just very weird. Our That's you know scary. we don't know what day it is anymore. We don't know, you know, but we're still trying to teach or have this schedule or yeah. But I I just to kind of bring up all of this was felt in that that thing that in the piece that you wrote, but I and then at the end, you know, or, or you say, like, I should care about the line because it's what I have to give to the world. But at the end of that piece, when you talk about what you're giving or what you're able to give, your pockets, your, you know, as you go, you go kind of through that list at the end of trying to give all you can, but not knowing, knowing it's insufficient and, and just being in that place of, 
not being able to stop thinking about Minnesota and the people there. And then the experience you talk about of learning that the the, the ro roads and the trade routes were the star maps, like that just, I don't know. If you'll talk about what you wrote, because I'm not doing it justice, I'd love to hear you talk about it a little more. Yeah. Um, I think that that's really, like that, like I said, even that piece, it, I just, you know, sat down and I, I, I posted it on my own Facebook page. I wasn't, I wasn't even sure if it was appropriate, you know, but I wanted to at least share it, these thoughts that I had put together, just share it with my friends, you know, to say, hey, I love you. I have friends who live in Minnesota. I have friends who were feeling despair, uh, friends who were feeling, you know, um, like panic attacks and, you know, all kinds. And those are people who don't, who weren't even living in Minnesota, but just, just severely affected by the the political and the social climate, the violence that was erupting everywhere, and I felt it. And so I just wanted to put these things together for my friends and say, you know, in a compassionate way, I understand. I don't know what to do, but. Um, and, and also for the community, the family of George Floyd, I did dedicate, even though it was on my Facebook, I did dedicate those thoughts to, to George Floyd's family, which I guess that was odd, but I was thinking about them the whole time that I wrote, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we don't know if, I think that was the spirit in which I offered it. We don't know if, um, anything is sufficient, but I still, I wrote, for example, those poems because I had to, you know, and I wrote that essay like with George Floyd because I had to, because I understand what it is to feel panic or even to feel uh, paralyzed, immobile. Uh, I forgot the word I used in that piece. What did I say? Uh, impotent. Yes. Yeah. We feel in, in the face of such uh, overwhelming distress and trouble, we can feel impotent. We can feel like nothing we do is enough. Nothing we do is sufficient, right? And so it, it can prevent us from doing anything. Sure. I think that, <clears throat> that was really the point is like, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, um, the way in which we care, care for each other. We may not be able to completely fix each other's problems. Let's say your sister has, uh, your sister has uh, some problems and things going on in her life, but you come and visit and then auntie comes and visit mm -hmm. and then so-and-so does this and this, together we're helping you know and so we have to sometimes I think you know um just say okay I, I'll give this and that's what I said at the end of the essay here I empty my look at I I talked about wounded knee I talked about uh you know my pitiful love life I talked about uh whatever you know all these things my daughter uh, getting pulled over, you know, whatever I could think of, I offered it. 
you know, to say, I'm here, I understand, I feel, you know, I am not in your shoes, let's say the family of George Floyd, I'm not in your shoes. I do not completely, you know, but I'm here uh, um, sharing this with you. I offer what I can, so yeah. Yeah, I, I think that do, maybe we do it in different ways now. You know, maybe we don't labor over the line in the same way, but the way that that essay, or I don't know what you want to call it, was able to kind of gather all of these these pieces, you know, that that showed so much of who you were, that you, the experience with your daughter, your love life, wounded knee, George Floyd, you know, that all of these things kind of come together to show a complete person or a whole a wholeness. By doing that, by revealing that or sharing that, I think as as artists or writers, we hope that it it touches somebody somewhere and that change, you know, takes longer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I'm just thinking about how making and and like producing and sharing it might be different now or forever changed now after after this. Like mm-hmm. I know I went through this time where I, I thought does anything I have to say matter anymore in the face of all of what's happening, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's, I've, it's shifted a lot to say like, oh yeah, it matters even more now, you know, in some ways. And I don't know. I know that the, that your book has had such an impact on so many people that I know. And I wondered, you know, somebody and I were talking recently do you think Obama read it do you think he ever said anything to Laylee do you think do you know if he ever did or I don't know I mean I mean if he did he never said anything to me but there you are that's a that's an example uh first of all you know the first the first draft of that um introduction to the section two to section two yeah to my response um the first draft of that i actually said and actually my editor at gray wolf was like you know you don't really have to you know include all this so i i ended up taking it out but the first draft i said something like you know this response is not aimed at any particular um figure political figure it is. Uh, it was intended to uh, to respond to a general kind of Americanness, and you know, I mean, I myself too. I actually, if I may be so uh, bold or honest, I I voted for Obama twice. You know, to be quite honest, but yeah. we can still, even if we you know uh, vote for someone, we can still. Uh, examine or take, you know, examine some of their uh, decisions and some of their uh, choices. So, um, but that really wasn't, uh, the whole thing was not uh, aimed at him in a personal way, but it it just so happens he did sign. (laughs) He is the one who signed it. And so I did, I did have to mention that, you know, that 
he was the one who signed it. There was no one present and so on. Um, if he did read it, uh, he didn't, I certainly have never heard. Yeah. Um, but that is uh, also, you know, you never know how, again, going back, how our work may impact people. So even if he never would acknowledge that I read it mm -hmm. or that he read it, um, you never know. Maybe it would affect ways in which he interacts or engages um, certain issues in the future, you know, because he's still uh, a, fig a very <laughs> respected public figure, you know, and he has a certain amount of power. You know, he's not an elected official, official right now, but yeah. Yeah. So. To change the subject sort of entirely. <laughs> um, just fascinated with the quilt project. Do you want to talk about it a little bit more here? I try, I've been trying, I like to create a relationship with my art, with the work I do in a way where I get as much out of it as I put into it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've actually been working on a lecture. I'm preparing for a group of students, uh, Lakota students, um, next month. And I think like Lakota uh, people, because um, the idea of relationship is so central to our culture, um, they, they're quick to understand when you start talking about uh, being a relative, relationship, reciprocity. So they, they understand that quickly. And so I do believe as artists, we, we, it's good to have that kind of relationship with our work so that we don't become um, po poetry machines um, and art machines because, you know, this society will let you become that. <laughs> this society will actually I think in some ways pull you in that direction, you know, can you submit here? Can you do this? Can you do that? Right. Um, we have to be careful because I think, um, and I say that for myself too, you know, I, I need to, I need to, uh, in recent years to, to be very cautious and aware of what I agree to the decisions I make because I want to make work in a way where I come out on the other side. I, I want, hopefully I want to be a better person. I want to grow. I want to learn something. Um, I want to change in some way through my work. I don't want to just produce work, you know, if that makes sense. Like me and the work, we are we are growing and changing together. And so like the Star Quilt um, project was a really um, uh, a wonderful, I mean, that's a great example of what I'm talking about because that was a an exhibit that I uh, participated in with two other Lakota women. I call them artists and they're so cute. They're sisters, Mary and Clementine Bordeaux, um, because obviously Mary works visually and um, Clementine studied documentary film and she works in that way. So um, 
I've always called them artists and they're so cute. Um, it was a while back we had a meeting and one of them said, well, you know, we don't really consider ourselves artists. Uh, we're we understand ourselves more as scholars. I thought that was so beautiful. Uh, so really they understand themselves as scholars that that opened also a whole uh, new way of seeing and understanding what we're doing. That um, for them, art is a vehicle, uh, much like let's say the essay with um, George, that I posted on my Facebook. I just wanted to do something and to give, right? So whatever the form or the medium was. And so for them, um, they, so I should call them scholars. So I um, collaborated with them on this. Um, and I think being able to spend time listening to the interviews that um, Clementine did, I think actually both of them did interviews with um, different community members. They were all women, six women. They were all educators. Mm -hmm. um, and all fluent speakers of our language. So I thought that was really beautiful. I mean, there's so many ways, so many different um, points to that star or sort of, you know, uh, it, it that project really radiated in different ways. Oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, you know, just on a personal level, um, I like making things, like I have an urge to make, I like making, I like sitting and spending a long time on something and doing tea, like I sat at my table with doing those copper wires for, you know, days and day. that whole project took me like a year, you know? That's amazing. Like, yeah, to listen to the interviews, to work on the poetry, to work with a laser cutter, uh, a person and and do all of that and so um it was a really fulfilling project there's something just about the collaborative aspect of doing that work that's so beautiful and then i i think about what you shared about star quilts you know being given for you know these these marked um moments or occasions in somebody's life and I love thinking of poetry having that same tactile quality you know like like is it something you can fold and hand to somebody that they can cover themselves with or yeah I think also like that was one thing I really got out of the project I mean there was another thing I a whole trajectory of a line of thinking um, and that was about um, tactility and materials and um, ways in which we create um, poems because uh, so what I mean to say is like when I was first invited um, to participate in the show you know Mary and Clementine know that I write and what have you so they asked me initially to um, if I wanted to contribute you know some written work um, and so I was like yeah you know that'd be great but um, 
I quickly realized, you know, I was like, you know, th this this show, Midakuye Oyasin, was really more, uh, it was going to be held at Racing Magpie, which is in Rapid City, South Dakota. So we may have a, a kind of mixed audience, but generally speaking, it was geared toward uh, Lakota community and relatives. So I realized I didn't, I really didn't feel like poems on an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper were really going to do much for our, um, I just was picturing my own family, let's say, or my own, our community. So I thought, you know, what are we, what are they gonna do? Walk in the gallery and see some paper on the wall or, you know, I was like, you know, I'm gonna have to, you, and so what it made me do is say, I need to meet them in some ways. I need to meet them halfway. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to work in a symbol. For example, uh, the star quilt symbol is quickly recognized. They associate it with uh, relatives, you know, which is really the, the theme of the show, but also um, colors. So working with color, form, everything that that um, engages them in a way that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm again, a, a kind of reciprocity between me and community. And working in that way actually was so beautiful for me because it, out of that, I was pushed and I found a form on the page you know, because that text can translate, you know, I can still use it on the page. And it, and it, and I was able to create a forum that was so beautiful in both, in both uh, mediums, you know, on the page or in the star quote. Yeah. And, and that was taken directly from Lakota um, arts and a kind of sensibility. Yeah. And so I've said this before, uh, when I presented this work elsewhere. Um, but one of the highest compliments I had um, was at the show um, when we had the opening. We were all, we, we had the opening and then we were all sitting in the back, um, in the back area, uh, having like whatever, you know, some Coke and chips or whatever. We were having our refreshments. Yeah. And one of my friends, their dad um, came into the back room and he came and he was all excited. Uh, he's an older Lakota man, you know, and he said, oh my God, he said, did you guys know that if you stand there with that, um, that big star, if you stand there and you, you look at it, did you know that you can make a poem like indifferent? <laughs> You can make it in different directions going and you can make a whole bunch of different poems. And that was so exciting to me. That's the so best. It was the highest compliment. It, yeah. was, it was the best feeling because that's exactly what I wanted, you know, to have uh, friends or family, um, community members who may not ordinarily uh, engage with poetry you know, um, may not sit there for a long time. He sat there for a long time, yeah. staring at that piece. You know, that's so beautiful. Yeah. So, 
and he got he made me got poetry in a way that he hadn't before because that's right that. mm -hmm. I, I think about someone like Felix Gonzalez Torres or that uses you know art in this way that takes it out of the context and sort of gives back the generosity in that which is the I think the reciprocity you're you're talking about um I had a question I just want to know the pronunciation of this word on page 43 the title of this poem can you see it oh uh, and even my pronunciation is not the best my dad gives me such a hard time when i'm trying to like pronounce words correctly and he'll like uh help me out a couple times and then he just lets go of the reins and he'll say well you just need to just practice <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I cannot fix your problems. No. So, so uh, I wonder about that with language, with the language, how much of it was part of your life and childhood and, and what are you learning now? And if you can talk about that a little. Yes. <clears throat> um, so I am a Lakota language is like a second language for me, so I'm learning it um, much like a student in many ways, you know. Um, I learn from really in any in any way that I can. So for example, um, well now we have the pandemic and all kinds of issues, but you know, when we can, we go to <clears throat> we go to the Lakota language camp um during the summer we wanted to go this last summer but we couldn't um i also have um you know materials workbooks that we do um if i really want to uh, know how to say something mostly i will call and ask um a family member or my dad like correct pronunciation also context uh, for our language. I have learned a lot of tough lessons, you know, as a writer, I'm always, cause I love language. It's so fun. It's so beautiful. So I have, I always want to like if new things like new words or new phrases in our language. I want to um, write about them. I want to talk about them. Um, but I've learned some painful lessons that a lot of times we need to understand uh, words and phrases or ideas in the, in the fuller context of what they are. So I think this, uh, I, I wanna say this, I'm just gonna go way out there. Uh, the Western tendency of looking at parts, uh, particles, <laughs> the atom, the cell, uh, separating it from the larger body, the larger context. So we do that with language too. Yes. It is a very dangerous practice. Yes. Learn that. So I've had to, in recent years, use a lot of self-discipline and be quiet <laughs> and wait until, you know, and um, just, just give things more time and understand that I'm a learner and to uh, be patient with that process, yeah. 
That makes so much sense to me. (laughs) The other thing too that I have, um, I have been thinking about is even like the poem you just asked about um, where it has, it's titled with a word in our language and it appears in the piece a few, a few, one or a couple times, but it's surrounded by English. Yeah. So I have even thought about that, you know, conceptually. Sure. What, what am I doing? What am I doing? What does that look like? Yeah. Uh, what am I, uh, what pattern am I reproducing? Sure. Yeah. By isolating a word from Lakota language and surrounding it with English. You know, just conceptually speaking, like it's profound to me. Yeah. It almost gives me chills. And I, <laughs> I feel accountable for that. Mm-hmm. So it is something that I really uh, have thought about more. I don't, I'm not going to shame myself for working in that way, um, you know, previously because it was part of my learning. Like I want to use our language. I want to use our language in different ways and uh, so on. But um, I still, you know, but I think that I'm growing and changing in some of my views about how to work with our language. So, you know, I have been working on, um, uh, this is going in a different direction, but um, I've been working on with one of my aunts, um, a simple, simple lesson plans for uh, Lakota language and taking to have uh, those lessons for students to be able to write at the end of that Lakota language lesson, to be able to take what they've uh, learned and written and to make poems out of that. So right now, for example, right now we are um, working on a workshop we want to conduct where she will teach how to uh, say or write four simple sentences in first person present tense. Mm -hmm. Just four simple, and then two conjunctions, and and but, Mm -hmm. combine them. And the possibilities are kind of endless. Yeah. There are so, and so it's learning, uh, I think, this is actually for myself, but also for uh, learners, language learners, students, uh, to encourage uh, myself and others uh, to remember this idea, let's say, of constraints. As artists, we always have constraints. Um, So like, if you're a painter, and you want to go to the art store, you don't have a million dollars to go and buy everything you want, right? You go in and you have a certain limits, right? Well, we can also understand that with language, let's say as Lakota language speakers or writers, uh, we may have certain limits or limitations. Um, But we, you can, if you have four tubes of paint, you right. can still paint something beautiful, right? You have four present tense sentences <laughs> in the first person, you can still 
make something beautiful in our language. You can uh, leave that class with a hundred percent, a poem, 100% in Lakota language. Mm -hmm. And so I myself have been um, kind of working in that way, um, challenging myself now, instead of isolating certain words uh, to feel a little more um, respect and care for our language and try to work um, with a whole poem in, in our language. I love hearing this so much because that idea that you're still learning, but like you're, um, the way in which you work to preserve the language and learn the language is changing as you change and grow and as you learn and grow. And I think that that's something we don't often allow people the space to do, or especially um, artists or writers, it's written this way here and it will stay preserved in amber, you know, without the context of, of this, this spectrum or this life that, that changes and grows. And I think so much about native languages and how every time I hear stories of, from tribal members talking about how the language is dying, you know, it's maybe as a writer, you know, it's this thing that just, it hurts to, to hear about that. These examples that you give so show these other possibilities and how it can really change over time. And I appreciate you offering that. I think in a sense of wanting to be accountable or this word accountability being so loaded now and and how we can hold ourselves accountable in our work but how it's a process too it's it is. yeah exactly it is a process and we have to make room for that we have to make room for ourselves to grow we have to make room for others you know uh and I think we can't, in, in the, with this idea of being accountable, um, we certainly live in, an, in, an, in a time right now where we are holding each other accountable. We're doing it in very public ways. Um, so, but I think part of that too is having some, uh, we can't forget that compassion uh, and have compassion for ourselves too. And to say, hey, uh, oh, I see things differently now. I'm growing. Yay. <laughs> okay, I'm going to change, maybe change the way I do things. You know, and with regard to, um, you know, native languages, I mean, certainly, I actually worked at the Indigenous Language Institute for like 11 years. Can you imagine? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, when I was younger. I wasn't full-time the whole time. There were certain periods when I was contract, uh, did contract work. So, but I'm still, I'm not, I, I can't speak as an expert on native languages, but one of my um, observations is how different, uh, I, the difference I can see even between my um, daughter's generation and my generation. And my daughter's generation is so excited and so happy to, you know, learn their language, to be able to sing, you know, full songs. And um, 
to be able to have little conversations with their um, relatives or friends, 100% in their language. That's so different. And so I think actually recovery of our languages, I think it starts from that uh, emotional and mental um, place where, you know, we are healing. Yes. We are changing, we are healing. And we have come to a place where we can feel proud or feel excited or, you know, um, a, a completely unashamed uh, okay. to have, you know. So those things are changing. And I think because of that, um, I feel a great sense of hope for the vitality of our languages. Like if our children are excited to learn, that makes all the difference, right? Whereas we are coming out of a very long winter, <laughs> you know, when things were pushed down and people were ashamed and people were hurting. I mean, just, I look, I look just at our family, for example, um, I, I have watched, I'll see my dad, uh, especially when my grandma was alive, you know, he would talk to her 100% in Lakota language or in Indian, as you would say, you know, talking Indian to grandma or talk talking Indian to um, his brothers and sisters, my, my aunts and uncles. And do that. And then as soon as they turn to one of the younger people in the house, me, um, anyone else, uh, the children, they switch into English, you know? And so, and that, there was a very noticeable difference, a break from that generation um, and younger. And I'm, I'm positive it really did come from the boarding school era. My dad went to boarding school, K through 12. And so we're coming out of that, th that era and that winter, that winter time. And so I do have hope for us. Uh, and for our languages, the vitality. I, they're not, I don't think they're gonna die, but I think it's gonna take some conscious effort. Yeah, it takes work. That, that's so beautiful. It just makes me think like here in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, it's a small fish city, but um, when George Floyd was murdered, high school students, got 10,000 people to protest, you know, and it was this real wake up call for me to see that generation, your daughter's age and to feel really hopeful, you know, I felt really hopeful seeing that they organized that and they got that many people to show up and support them, you know. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that I just want to thank you like as a woman and as a mother and as a writer feeling like to write about those things is taboo in some way or something that nobody wants to hear about or read about this voice in me that says that sometimes and I know where it comes from you know different points in my education or my family or whatever but uh you write about what or what do you mean like 
just, you know, I think after I had my son, I thought, this is all I can write about because this is my life. Mm. But I felt this shame writing about motherhood or the trauma of birth or miscarriage, you know, that poem in Whereas um, just meant so much to me to read somebody writing about it and owning that and, and um, I consider myself a feminist and I read people who write about these things, but there's still that voice in me that says, you're, you're, nobody wants to hear about it. Don't talk about it, you know? Um, so I just, thank you. <laughs> I know that we're going over time, but you know, I think that those are important things to talk about too. You know, I just feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's within the arts, but also outside of the arts. Uh, just the other day, I was talking to my mom about how little we even talk about it in ordinary life, some of these things together right. as women. So let me give you an example. And this is very simple. Uh, and it's not, a, not necessarily a moment of extraordinary suffering, but it is kind of, it, to me, it was shocking. For example, when I had a baby, no one told me that after you have the baby, you bleed for weeks. Right. Not one person told me that. And when I was sitting at home wearing pads, bleeding my guts out, I was shocked. And I wasn't just shocked that you know, this was happening, but I was shocked that no one, no one told you, talked about this openly. All they talk about is this cute baby and whatever, and maybe you, you won't get sleep. But the, the specifics of that experience were like, what? Yes. Wow. And yes. then of course, there are things, my mom is an elder, and there are things that she's gone through recently with her body. And and then she's finding out, oh my God, this is actually quite common. Right. And nobody told her. Right. You know? And so, but I think also as artists to embrace, I actually feel like, hey man, you know what? You know, being a mom, miscarriage or whatever, what have you, whatever. Those experiences that are unique to being, uh, having this body and biologically, uh, the things that we go through, number one, they have grounded me in my, in my experience as a woman. They have strengthened me. You know, those things are hard. They're hell to go through, but wow, I'm still here, you know? <laughs> and, and secondly, those are experiences that, um, yeah, we have to own because Mr. X, Y, and Z cannot claim those experiences ever. Those are unique to who we are and how we walk in this world, you know? Uh, and I think, I mean, there are so many things that I'm very grateful for uh, in my experience as a woman, for example. I haven't written about this, but I've, I mean, I've thought a lot about some of these things. For example, after I had my daughter, this is so crazy. I could start to, I, I could smell things in a way I have never, <laughs> I 
you're saying you too yeah yes i can smell and i can smell it is not just like um let's say whatever you know i can smell a lemon in the kitchen right it's it's beyond that i can smell people's emotional state is that i mean like it's and you're nodding your head so i think that you maybe know but like if a person for example i've had this um there i had a i knew someone who is uh was kind of suffering they were lonely and having um a hard time in their personal life i could smell it on them wow and then i later on felt uh found out more details and i was like wow that makes sense i could you know and and someone said and this happened after i had my child and someone said you know i think that's maternal instinct or that's part of what uh came alive yeah. after i had a child um you know that's some of, yeah some of these abilities and we don't talk about much about those things either with each other and here i am sharing it and i looking at you you're nodding like oh my god look at us i mean and also you talk about instinct and the piece that you wrote on mm-hmm. facebook which you know it reminds me of that yeah. it's so beautiful yeah. you know it's really beautiful that we have been given these sort of um abilities or some it's i don't know biological or and again this thing of instinct as well is something i really have been meditating on uh as a younger person i think um i was trained out of instinct and i was trained out of listening to that though that uh that sense of alert alarm sometimes or alert you know uh wake up pay attention something something isn't right something doesn't smell right <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much lily you're welcome this was wonderful um thank you i'm so grateful for for your time today it's so nice to meet you and be with you're you welcome thank you thank you for having me You've been listening to the sound images of the Electro Library, a production from Stonehill's Digital Lab.